Hey, are you looking for all things Antonio? You are in the right place. Welcome to the following greatness with Antonio T. Smith Jr. podcast, where you will find all things Antonio all the time. Have fun, enjoy, and take notes. Welcome to the following greatness with Antonio T. Smith Jr. podcast. Welcome to the first episode of Following Greatness with Antonio T. Smith Jr. In this episode, we interview the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Antonio T. Smith Jr. to find out more about who he is, why he does what he does, and how the hell did he survive. Sit back, relax, take notes, and here's the first episode of the Following Greatness with Antonio T. Smith Jr. podcast. Thank you, Mr. Antonio T. Smith Jr. for joining me for the Following Greatness podcast. I want to thank you. I'm putting together this podcast so everyone can follow your greatness in one place. So first off, thank you for allowing me this interview with you today. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, you are most welcome. Most welcome. I'm glad to be here. And you are my one of my brightest shining stars. So from the student to the teacher, that's you. Let me hear it. Thank you. Thank you very much. My first question, we've heard you say it on several of your recordings, several of your keynotes, but I really want you to tell everyone your story and why you are where you are today. So if you can start off by introducing yourself to the audience that does not know you yet, reintroducing yourself to the audience that does know you and telling us your story. Yeah, sure. My name is Antonio Antonio T. Smith Jr. And I come a long way. A long time ago, I grew up with two parents. And by the time the age six happened, my parents could not legally keep me, could not morally keep me, could not ethically keep me as they were both addicted to crack cocaine. Crack cocaine comes through the hood, urban area, uh, and it's more abundant than bottled waters. And of course, that left me homeless. And I go to one side of the family. I don't like that side of the family because they're talking about my dad. I go to the other side of the family. I don't like that side of the family because they're talking about my mom. So I just run away, period. I'm six years old. And I eventually found this dumpster, trash can. And inside this trash can, I found my solitude would be my place from shielding myself from the mosquitoes being in Southeast Texas and all sorts of stuff. And I found massive pain in that trash can, massive hunger in that trash can, uh, even molestations in that trash can. But eventually, ladies and gentlemen, I got out that trash can. You know, I remember looking up and I saw this star, this, this, this blinking star. And I realized it's not a blinking star, that's a plane because it was moving. And I remember saying, man, one day I'm going to be on that plane and I'm going to travel the world. I won't be forgotten in this trash can. And today, that's exactly what I do, ladies and gentlemen. I travel the world teaching people how to get out of their trash cans. It reminds me of this story from this book. Peaks and Valleys by Spencer Johnson. In this book, it was a valley guy who had valley dreams and had valley friends and a valley girlfriend and a valley family and a valley parents. And one day he looked up at the peak and he decided upon himself that he was going to get out the valley into the peak. And wouldn't you know it, he told his valley everything. 
And they all told him that he couldn't get to the peak because they never been to the peak and he couldn't get to the peak. And how many of you know that when people have not done something, they'll talk you out of being braver than them. And so he's climbing up this peak. He gets up there and soon the road ends because no one's gone up there and he has to find his own road. And it is what my strength is today, Deanna. I help people find their own road. I help people find that the peak is worthy of them, that abundance is their birthright, and I'm willing to die for one reason and one reason only, to create a hundred thousand millionaires out of a out of a hundred thousand valley people so we can change the collective consciousness of this world. That's why I do what I do. It is what I am willing to die for, and it is probably why I am on this podcast in the beginning. All right, sir. So there's a lot in there. Now I'm going to pick out some things so that way you can elaborate for us. My first question is, you said from 6 to 14, you lived in a dumpster. And you, you got out of there by looking up at airplanes and saying that one day you're going to be on one of those planes. Yep. What was it that really got you like how did you do that because at the age from six to 14 you're still growing you're you're still a child like you are literally still a child the the, we look at our six-year-olds to our 14-year-olds today and they're still playing like dirt playing in dirt playing video games you know being the 14-year-old coming into puberty you did, you literally lived your childhood in a dumpster. How did you survive that? The, the, the real answer is I don't know. I never had the opportunity to play in dirt. I didn't get a childhood. I was never nurtured. I'm basically a kid that was never raised. A, a son that was never nurtured by a mother, a father that was never taught by his father. Uh, if anything, if you compare me to anything, I guess you could look at, you know, Adam and Eve in the in the Christian understanding of things. You know, Adam and Eve were born grown. So if you subscribe to the Christian faith, they had no choice but to make some mistakes. Who were their mentors? You know, how, where was their experience and, and things like that. And, and that happened to me. So I, I, I didn't have a childhood, and I, I don't expect to ever go back and have one. That's for sure. Also in there, how I got out of it, I don't know. I just know that every day I wanted to kill myself. Every day it was a different struggle. I make so much money today because I had to learn how to eat. Right? I had to learn the rules of money when no one else had to. And if I had to put an answer on this question is I just kept moving forward. Even on the days that I didn't want to move forward, my hunger moved me forward. You see, when you, when you sit there and you're want to commit suicide, hunger tends to be louder than suicide. And I don't mean any disrespect to anyone who's, you know, have, or have been a victim of a family member that's committed suicide. And Lord knows I've tried many a times, But on my suicidal nights, and believe me, there were many, my stomach growled so much that I couldn't even concentrate on suicide because my stomach, the pain in my stomach was so loud, I had to get out that trash can and find something to eat. 
and growing up in the hood and being a young black kid doing that, you know, prison it's definitely was on, on my path. So I had to figure out how to get people to respect me enough to feed me. And that came with providing services to, you know, to get food. And that's how I learned how to start making money. That's how I got out. I just kept moving forward. And my hunger that nobody else can see, feel, smell, or touch, that kept me moving forward. That leads me to another question because growing up, you you've and you you've joked about it, but and I growing up in the ghetto, as you have said it. How did you not get tied up in the statistics of the ghetto? Well, you just got to be. First off, there's nothing wrong with the ghetto. Uh, you know, they've they've demonized it, right? The narrative. It's it's just a bunch of people trying to survive, and the same, you know, and then of course, you know, the police systems patrol our neighborhoods far enough to patrol there anybody else's, right? You just got to be smart enough to know that there's a system or there's there's people out there that want you caught up at a young age so you never be competitive as an adult, and, and that was very obvious to me in the very beginning because, you know. This is very obvious. Also, what was my saving grace, I should say, is I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. You know, I'm fifty-four pounds, and you know, thirty-something kilos. I am. I'm out here, young in the '80s, homeless, early '90s, homeless. People just looked over me. Period. It's it's not something, you know, this is, this is before you called CPS on the slightest thing, right? This is before what we call the council culture. So people just looked over me. I, I've, I'm not sure if I can pull that off. Well, maybe I could. Maybe I could pull it off in the 21st century because people are now so apathetic. They wouldn't even care about someone being homeless. And they didn't care then either. So that's just something to think about. But other than these two facts, I mean, I've, I've been to jail plenty of times. So I could have been a statistic, but I'm rich, so no one cares, right? It's kind of how that works. All right. Do you have six to fourteen? You had such a traumatic childhood, but then you hit high school. Yep. What shifted for you? when you hit high school? Because we've, we've heard you talk about high school. We've heard you talk about all the accomplishments that you had in high school. What shifted for you at this point? Well, the accomplishments didn't come from anything but my drive. I mean, you can't, I mean, how do you get out of a trash can without, you know, you put me, there's, there's no accomplishments in the trash can, right? But if you put that same drive to eat, then of course, when you put me in civilized society, I'm going to out, dominate everybody because uh, it's, it's just, you know, I'm a warrior. You know, I, I've spent my whole life warrioring and there's nothing you can do about that, right? The warrioring is a word. I'm making it up right now. I've spent my whole life doing that. So you put me in civilized society and then of course I'm 
running circles around everyone. I've been eating, killing my own food every day. So of course that. But what shifted for me, different question. By the time I got to ninth grade, which I had just got adopted. I got adopted in 19, I got adopted July 20th, 1997, actually my birthday. And I was going into freshman year that that's August or September, whenever school started that year. And what shifted for me was now I'm like super athletic. Um, my body is growing and I become a football star. Easy. You know, I was on, I got, I've got moved up to freshman. I mean, I got moved up to varsity during playoffs during freshman season, during my freshman year, which is only, it was only two of us, three of us that did that. No, it was four of us, four of us that did that. And so now I'm the man, you know, and that, and that shifted for me. I go from no one knows me in a trash can to now I'm one of the most popular people in school. And it gave me some confidence and it also taught me how to behave in, well, I'm still, I still don't know if I know how to behave. I'm not sure about that, but it, it, it integrated me into society. I had to learn how to win friends and influence people as Dale Carnegie books, write. You know, now I'm so popular. Now I got to keep this popularity and I have to keep these people impressed. And the first thing I realized is I didn't give a damn about keeping people impressed or anything like that. I was different. And the more I didn't give a damn, the more people was impressed. It was very different. I didn't I didn't come for the accolades that everyone else came because they didn't mean anything to me. Your your trinkets didn't matter to someone who just came out of a trash can. So it didn't bother me. But what it did teach me how to do was how to influence people, how to read people, and the, I do these same things today. Today, I I control a room. I by not controlling the room because I was integrated from trash can and thrown into one of the most popular people in school. And I use these same business, the same business lessons I had to learn to stand at the locker and have girls around me and dudes around me, you know, on the second floor of Galveston Ball High School. It's the same business lessons that I walk into a corporate room with. They really are the same. They're not different. Don't let nobody tell you different. They're not different. Popular kids tend to get the the best jobs or, or become least entrepreneurs you know the smart kids work for entrepreneurs this is what it is all right so your entire adolescent life you seems see how can i put this it seems like you were being un, in an unfortunate way molded to be who you are today well that's facts not, not the unfortunate part. It's actually quite fortunate. Would I repeat it again? Hell no. No, no, I wouldn't repeat it again. No, no, of course I wouldn't repeat it again. I would, I would be born to a dentist, a famous dentist that was white, and my name would be Jeffrey, and I would have a trust fund, and I would have a Ferrari at 16, and, you know, all sorts of stuff. I'd change plenty of things, right? But but no, I'm, I'm, I'm black and chocolate with a gang of charisma and I know the algorithm are making money and it works out for me in this incarnation, right? It works out for me. And then I, I chose this, I chose this life. Nevertheless, I mean, I think it's fortunate because what makes me famous today was my greatest embarrassment yesterday. It's, you know, it's amazing, right? It's, it's, it's the great yin and yang. 
It is the, the great binary of things. It is the alpha to the omega, the left to the right, the up to the down. My greatest embarrassment is now my greatest glory. You know, there's a there's a character in sacred text. There's an ascended master. You 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 may have heard of him as Jesus, and one of his writers, John, would say the same thing. And his greatest embarrassment was his greatest glory. So it's quite fortunate. Mm. I would not have a story without my greatest embarrassment. I also wouldn't understand how to teach people far older than me how to make money without my greatest embarrassment, my greatest enslavement. So it's actually quite fortunate because my entire income comes from my throat speaking words. And I learned these words by internalizing my thoughts because I couldn't talk to anyone. And I learned the algorithm of making money because I was starving. Mm. All of this stuff is connected just like everything else on planet Earth. Yes, I, I see. I actually see that when you break it down that way, I see how everything is connected. But there's something you just said, you know, your income today comes from the words you speak from your throat. How did you actually get started? It's only way I can eat. Speaking. Like, you ain't got to finish questions. It's only way I can eat. I, I didn't, you know, you, you, I'm dirty. I stink. My teeth are extremely yellow. My hair is extremely knotted. I smell like mop water. The only thing I could possibly do is deliver a good presentation for someone to buy something for me. It's the only thing I could possibly do. Or you enter, you, you put a kid in mop, you know how, you, you do know kids are cruel. Yes, you, are. You, you put a homeless kid in school, putting, them, putting himself through school, by the way. I felt the fifth grade and the sixth grade now you put you put a two-time loser, a school dropout who smells like mop water, literally, and you tell them to go get a girlfriend or a friend, you better be pretty good with communication. That's where that you comes from. Yeah. Very good point. Wow. Yeah, that's how it happened. Wow. And then and speaking of friends, did you have any friends during these this time? I've had I had two friends. Uh, Limus Hill and Pierce Hill. And they were actually first cousins, and they're still my best friends to this day. I met both of them, them when I was in kindergarten. And Limus would have been one year younger than us. And he would have been in preschool. And these are still my best friends to this day because, you know, men do that. We we typically, uh, you know, I don't want to be chauvinist, but you women, y'all switch friends. You know, men, we got the same hairstyle since you know <laughs> since 1992 <laughs> the same football team the same basketball team the same friends you know we, we, you know we like if you ever seen the movie the wood with mm -hmm. tay Diggs and stuff that was us and you know and one of the it, it's it's i've just shout out to both of them they would let me come over their house and, I, and i'm sure they mothers knew I'm sure, you know, because you're from a black family. So you had, I'm not sure if they lived there, but everybody was at their grandmother's house. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure the living arrangements. It could be, for me, everybody lived in one house because that's how it works in a black family, right? But maybe that's not the case. I'm, I don't mean to discount these mothers and how much money they were making or something. They could have just been pulling their resources together too. Who knows? But I would. they would let me stay over there and play Nintendo, Street mm. Fighter 2. 
and then they would feed me cake and, and all sorts of stuff and then I would go I would you know I would leave when it's obviously time to get ready for school and I would go walk back to my trash can but at least I would you know there was a few years stretch in which I would be able to walk back to that trash can without having to worry about food or hustling because my two best friends mothers would provide that so that would be a pretty good thing so they were an intricate part in your adolescence oh I'd be dead without them I'd be dead without them period there's no way around it there's no way around it I wouldn't survive without Lyman's or Pierce it's impossible and to even think that no no we're not even gonna do that it's impossible I would have I would have Nah, there's just no way. There's no way. I wouldn't even, and if I wasn't dead, I wouldn't even know how to integrate with society because they were my integrations into society. They taught me how to be normal. I was not, you can't, come on, you know, I'm like Tarzan and raised by, you know, raised in a jungle or something. I'm not, I'm not civilized. I'm, I'm a, I'm a gangster. I'm not gang. Well, I am gangster, but I'm a warrior. I am a warrior, and I, and, and I need to go become a civilian in order to blend in. You can't be a warrior all the time. You have to know when to be a fox and know when to be a lion. That's actually a fantastic book by Machiavelli. But you know, the prince is what that book called. But you got to know when to switch the two. So now I, I wouldn't be anything. I, I wouldn't be alive without them. They, they're more than just important. They are, they are divine connections that I needed to handle this carnation, this incarnation. Right. Now, I'm going to come back to that because this is the second time you've said incarnation. So we're coming back to that one. Mr. Oh, you're trying to get weird. <laughs> we're definitely weird. coming back to that one. Okay, I'll see how real you want me to answer. We keep on going. <laughs> so here you are. You survived from six years old to 18. You fought You've starved, but you still kept going. That in itself is enough to commend you because I don't I, I don't know of any child that will be able to survive without, like you said, the nurturing of your mother or the Never guidance of your father. Never had it. You know, so you here you are, six to four to 14 you survived the trash can and you said you were adopted july 20th 1997 Thanks. how did that how did that transition how did that transition mold you even more because to go from completely like you said a warrior having to survive for yourself to now you're living under a roof with a family i was completely oh. ungrateful i was completely ungrateful there was no transition there was like, do not give me props here, ladies and gentlemen. Whoever's going to listen to this later, do not give me props. I was very, I was an ungrateful a-hole. I was 14, and by this time, I'm, you know, I'm 14 going on 40. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm conditioned. My, my, you don't take a warrior and then say, hey, it's in peacetime. What does a warrior do in peacetime? Start wars. <laughs> right, like, let's, just, let's keep it real here. Right? I'm a warrior my whole life. What I do, I start wars. I was completely ungrateful to Lorraine Temple Smith, who adopted me, who actually happens to be my father's, my biological father's mother. How that happened, I don't know. I don't know 
they finally figured out what was going on. I, it, I don't know that you would have to, you know, call upon the higher power. She sleeps with her ancestors now. I don't know, and I don't know what would make her and Lucy Elizabeth Smith uh, take me in because they 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 didn't just adopt uh, a fool. They adopted an ungrateful fool. That's it's it's one thing to be a fool, but to be ungrateful and a fool, I ain't got to deal with you. you. You understand what I'm saying? And, and uh, we, I deal with you. I could deal with you being mean, but you're not gonna be mean and ungrateful. These are two different things. Mm. These are two different things. I'm very ungrateful. It wasn't until I joined the United States Army, August second, two thousand, and then maybe six weeks in basic training. My grandmother, who is who adopted me, Lorraine Temple Smith, had a stroke. And I don't really understand much about a stroke. I just know that's a black folk killer. But that I do know. I do know if you want to die and you black, have a stroke. Now that I do know. Right. And that's all I know. And I'm and I get the call in basic training, which in fact we were in the field. And they called me out the field and let me know because she's on my birth certificate. She's the only person on my birth certificate. And and yeah, and they call me, and then of course, like I just bust out in tears, and that's when I, so what is that? I got to go off to Fort Littlewood, Missouri, so I'm, I'm thousands of miles away from Texas. I have to be getting beat in the face by drill sergeants, and she has to almost die for me to finally be grateful. And that's wow. that transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please don't give me props. She, she, she did not get the the treatment she deserved while she I never added value to my grandmother ever ever until until her dying days and I dedicated the rest of my life to her when she finally did pass in 2008 when she finally did pass she the first stroke she was recovering from the first stroke and then the second one just took her out she became a she never talked again. And one of the greatest things that, that if I only got three regrets on, regrets on planet Earth, one of them is I don't remember the last conversation I had with the woman who saved my life. And by the time I got out the out of combat situations, she had the second stroke. I don't to this day I don't remember the last conversations I had with her. And for that, I make sure that people like me or people, anybody always remember the last conversations with their parents or whatever that may be. But also, but also I made sure that I was able to live a very good life for her. So that's what I do now. Wow. Thank you very much for your transparency. That really makes you think about the people around you because you never know. No, you never know. That's for sure. Wow. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So here we are. From 6 to 14, you're alone. From 14 to 18, you're with your grandmother and your aunt. And then you go into the military. How how did the military shape? Well, how did the military contribute to how you shaped your life from that point to today? The military did a few things. Let's see. The first thing the military, the most important thing the military did is taught me I don't want to work for nobody. 
Okay, <laughs> let me just tell y'all that. Let me just let me just let me just go ahead. I, I don't know how real you want your interview to get, but the but the interview. Go I mean, the it. military taught me I don't like taking orders. God dog it, you know. I don't like, and I excelled. I, I was number one in my class with everything, and I'm, I'm highly decorated military veteran now. That just didn't mean. It still don't mean I like I liked taking orders. God dog it. I like giving them. I didn't like taking them. That's for sure. So I would do things before people would have an opportunity to give me an order. They would they would call it ambition. I would call it getting you out my face. But you know, it got me promoted. So whatever it is, right? Whatever that is. But definitely time I didn't want to work for nobody. The other thing military the military taught me, and I'm trying to go in order. Don't want to work for nobody. And it it gave me the military didn't teach me discipline. Because I already had it. You can't get out of the trash can without discipline. The military taught me how to respect other people's time. Mm. That's the second most important thing. The military, so in the army, in the military branch, I'm sure, but I, got, I can only speak for the army. You were late if you wasn't 15 minutes early. And if you were 15 minutes early, so the under, this was the, this was the rule. The unwritten rule is if you do, if you get there 15 minutes early, which is on time, that's still the minimum because you're doing what I told you to do. You should have been 15 minutes early to the 15 minute early rule. That's a real soldier. So really, if you're not 30 minutes early, you're just an average soldier. And man, talk about how that really gets you money and promoted in the business world. When people see, because when you don't respect people's time, that's a heart issue. Like when you're late for a meeting, that's a heart issue. That's 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 just me saying that I don't I don't give a damn about you. You are not as important as whatever it is that I was doing, right? And that's yeah yeah. Well, you know that's a heart issue. That's a complete heart issue. People who are always late, they always make excuses. That's a heart. Listen, y'all listen to me. It's a heart issue. You care more about you than the other person, and that's why you're. I, I can guess the dollar amount that you make right now. I can guess it. I can guess it. That's the second thing. And the third thing the military taught me was how smart I was. I knew I was smart, but I didn't know. I just, I just, I've always attributed my intelligence to the fact that, you know, other kids were soft. Well, I mean, come on. I'm a warrior, right? I mean, come on. Everybody else is soft. They soft. The military, because I was military intelligence, and they made me military intelligence. When you go, when you, you score a 76 on the ASVAB and your, you know, your your GT score, which could be, it's way over 130 or something like that, which is like IQ. Then, and you have unknown mother, unknown father, and you're athletic. They say, hey, you want to be a, a military intelligence spy? <laughs> Stuff like that. I was a perfect candidate. I didn't care about nothing. I didn't have any, like, who was you going to notify for my, my next kid? I had no next kid, you know, all that stuff like that. So, of course, they would do that. And I would just excel in the military. And it taught me, man, I'm, like, really, really smart. I'm not just smart. I'm smarter as far as aptitude goes smarter than most people like you know what i'm saying and i don't mean comparison i'm just saying i apply myself i pay more attention to detail than most people and that would be the third thing they could talk to me oh, 
that first one though, I don't want to work for nobody. Nobody. You, I, I know you hit a you you had several people clapping for you when you said that. <laughs> nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody's. I you know, I think even I think even just to be funny, you know, I think even Jesus knew that. Like, look. Jesus said, work with me, not for me. You understand know what I'm saying? Like, and there's somebody out there like me, like, yo, hey, this this saving world is cool and all, but can we be partners? You know, so like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't work with nobody. Dog. I am psychologically unemployable. I can't do it. I can't do it. Wow. All right. So, <sighs> traumatic childhood crazy teenage years military what what does one with at this point with your mentality your skills and your background what does one do once they're out of the military Uh, become a compulsive addict and a loser because that's exactly what i did you know i got immediately addicted to alcohol and, well, maybe maybe not addicted. I just got addicted to being dumb, really. Wow. And, and, yeah, yeah, I'm not addicted to alcohol. I, I could stop anything because I'm compulsive. I just got convicted doing making dumb decisions because because what, what are my skill sets? My skill sets are knowing how to kill people, knowing how to control masses, and I'm four years old. That's basically right. I mean, maybe five, maybe eight years old. I got adopted, so now. I got adapted at 14. So by 15, I'm one in nurturing. Because remember, I'm a warrior. Right. So now I gotta be I gotta become a human being now. I'm one by 15. By the time I get out of the army at 23, 22, I'm eight. So you have this eight-year-old assassin on the streets. Oh <laughs> so I'm assassinating right. relationships, women, all sorts of stuff. I'm just assassinating. It's, it's, give me an opportunity, and I'm going to kill it, God dog. And I don't mean in a good way. I was a professional wow. loser. A professional loser is somebody, no matter what you give them, they're going to take it all the way back to zero. Give them a wife, they're going to take it back to single. Give them $1,000, they're going to take it back to overdraft. You know, give them a job, they're going to pop hot on the piss test and take it back to unemployed. A professional zero is what I was. All that talent and didn't know how to apply it because well, I don't know why. I think I just I just wasn't I wasn't ready. I still I still was finding my way. I was still finding my way. I didn't need people to tell me what to do, but I still didn't know what to do with all that responsibility, all that power. I didn't know what to do with it yet. Right. So you Mr. Antonio Tisman Jr., just from 6 to 24, you have just, just, man, <laughs> your whole life is, wow. So how, how did, how did 6, from the age of 6, from elementary to junior high, high school, the military, how, how did all of that translate into business for you? How did all that translate into you becoming who you are today? I was doing business at six. So, yeah, I mean, that's easy to answer. I mean, you, I got to eat. You know what I'm saying? So I was, I, was, I was flipping moon cookies. Back then, a moon cookie cost me 75 cents. 
So I would buy a moon. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cost seven. No, a moon cookie cost seventy-five cents. That's right. So I would get the little sugar cookies and flip them joints. You know, for I get a little four pack that would cost I don't know, like fifty cent. No, you get two for fifty cent. That's what it was. And I would flip those for a dollar just so I could buy moon cake, a moon pie, because the moon pie had this bread element to it that I would then drink a whole bunch of water out the public water fountain on 39th and Broadway in Galveston, Texas. It was a public water fountain. For me, water fountain is, is worship. A water fountain is worship because it was free water. It was inside this oil station where you change your cars and stuff at. You know, you change your oil and stuff. And i take that moon cookie. And, and I had to get that moon cookie from 43rd and ball, go all the way to go drink water. So I've been flipping money, doing business since six. So I was already a businessman. I was already a businessman. I had a legal business at 14. You don't even want to know the other businesses I had. You know, if you wanted something, I can give it to you. you, you whatever you, you wanted to package, I had those. You wanted fake car insurance, I had those. Uh, I was, <laughs> I didn't start, <laughs> look, you know, don't let nobody tell you they grew up homeless from six years old to 14 and said that they was an angel. That ain't no homeless person. That's a liar. That's someone, you know, uh, you know, uh, no. Nah, I grew up homeless and I did what I had to do to survive and I do not feel bad about it today. You understand? Yeah, I did what I had to do to survive and I ain't never, well, maybe I did hurt some people. I don't know, but nevertheless, I've been about business. What 6 to 24 taught me was I wasn't a man. I didn't become a man until I was 25. Hands down. Hands down. I achieved all this high success. You don't really become a man until you lose everything again. Mm. Right? It's not enough to lose it once. You gotta you gotta lose it, get it back, and then lose it. Then that's when you start saying, All right, the problem must be me. Right? Because you know, the the problem's the white man, the problem's the system, the problem's my mama, my dad. But when you lose it twice and they not around, all right, the problem's you. That become so what, I was twenty five. So what happened at twenty five that that you made that shift? Yeah, I lost my girlfriend at the time. By this time, I had been in jail thirteen times in twelve months. Now, part of that, I was shell shocked. I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to adjust to civilian life at all. And you know, just stupid misdemeanor, angry stuff. Uh, just saw a bunch of stuff. But, yeah, I just lost everything. And now I'm I'm broke. I've got to. I lost two friends. They were dorks. It doesn't matter though. And then I lost a girlfriend. I well, I lost my wife. And then started dating a girl and I lost her. I just lost. It was just like the year of losses. You know, or, or a whole two years of losses because that was actually a two-year period. And now, now my grandmother's about to die. And I got the army in 2004, so my grandmother's about to die now. And I'm losing the one person who loved me unconditionally. And I'm like, dang, I got to do something. I don't know what it is, but I got way too much potential to have nothing to show for it. 
all this money I've made, all these great things I've done. I've lived more lives than most people in 25 years. And I ain't got nothing to show for it but some noodles. I got to do something. Yeah, I got to do something. Car repossessed. It's just a lot. So, yeah, when you lose that much, and and, and, and who am I blame? I can't blame nobody but me. That's when I became a man. So what did you do? What what was your what did you do to to go from you said I didn't become a man until I was twenty five. What did you do to become that man? Well, what I did become the man was just increase my self awareness. You know, self awareness is a superpower. So I had to look at every area of my life that had lack and account for. I'm the reason for that lack. I'm not letting in new information in these lacked areas. So then I start educating myself in these lacked areas and stop being arrogant because I didn't know if if I knew what I thought I knew, I wouldn't have lack there, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that That's what I did there. Now, it sounds like you got a stronger question or or a, upper question coming right after that you know I'll I'll, I'll see if you ask it if not I'll I'll weave in the answer that I'm anticipating in there but I'll I'll let you go it's your your interview (laughs) in your teachings today Mm -hmm. you talk about self-awareness retraining your subconscious you talk about law of attraction at what point did all did all of that really just start kicking in and you're like, man. All right. So yeah, that's I was I didn't expect you to ask it that way, but it's just, it's the same anticipation I had. What got me here is I stopped doing life by myself. Like you listen to the theme, y'all. Trash can by myself. Warrior by myself. Army by myself. Losses by myself. I got myself some mentors. You understand? Like straight up, yeah, like straight up. I, you know, I, I stopped. I every area of my life where those where there were those weaknesses, I got somebody to lead me in those weak areas. How to hold door open for women, you know, how to be financially intelligent. Even if these mentors were online, because you know the internet's out by now. And I could just read books and stuff. I start reading. And that's how I got here. Mentors. And then eventually, you know, I narrowed down having 10 mentors into just one. And then now I'm the mentor. But the the point is, I didn't get here with my consciousness. There was a higher consciousness guiding me to where I wanted to go. You, you, you can and I'm not talking about God, right? The higher consciousness. That's cool, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying there were human beings on earth with higher levels of consciousness than me. And I used their higher level of consciousness to get me where I wanted to go. How did you find them? How did you know they were the ones? I didn't know they were the ones. I knew nothing. I didn't find a single mentor until I emptied myself because mentors don't want fool people. Mm. Right? No one likes to feel a fooled cup. So until I've emptied myself, my mentors didn't show up. Mentors will walk. I mean, I would do the same thing. I'd walk around people who know everything. 
I don't want nothing to do with that energy. Uh, my prosperity can't can't ha I can't have both. I can't have my prosperity and your unprosperity. I, I can't have both. I can't have both. So once I emptied myself, once I said, "Man, I don't know anything," like Socrates, and I play those five dialogues, then mentors showed up, and I and I. I qualify to be mentored by them with my humility, with my hunger to learn and my desire to serve them. That is when that happened. So at this point, what, what in you was like, because you said you got tired of losing, you lost everything. Mm -hmm. Some people would just keep losing. What was that? What was that final breaking point? Like I am tired of being tired of losing. That's a really good question. It had nothing to do with me, but I do have a a, a breaking point. Hurricane Ike comes through Galveston, Texas, two thousand and eight, September twelfth, two thousand eight, and we lose everything. It was, at the time, it was the second costliest storm on. In a, in, at least in the North Americas. And no, number one was Hurricane Katrina three years earlier. I think the Hurricane Katrina, I think that was Hurricane Rita. Anyway, doesn't matter. Hurricane Katrina was a little earlier. And it was just brutal. And at the time, I've got this girlfriend, and she's eight months pregnant with my first son. She's like eight and a half months pregnant. In fact, I give it to you. My first son was born Halloween, 2008. We're in FEMA lines. We're standing, waiting for a Walmart gift card that's $75. And we go stand in this line because Walmart gift cards allows you to actually get gas, too. And we needed the gas so I could go apply for jobs. Now, hear me and hear me very well. So we needed both the food and the gas because you can use, you know, Walmart Murphy gas station. So in order to get in the female line in a good spot and the female line opened at nine, oh no, I think it was seven or eight, something like that in the morning. You can't show up at eight in the morning because the whole city doesn't have electricity, the whole county. So now you got all the counties coming. And what I had to do is we had to be there by Let's see, seven, so you go that three in the morning. We found out that wasn't working. So what we did, we had to show up at midnight. We ain't got no chairs. We ain't got nothing. We lost everything. Wow. So now I got this eight and a half month pregnant woman standing on her swollen feet for eight hours. So we both can act like we not together. So we can get $75 for her and $75 for me that we can both use together to have enough food to survive and enough gas to go apply for jobs. And I looked one day, she's not complaining. It's freezing because Texas is real funny like that. It's super cold. Then it gets a thousand degrees by eight in the morning. Right, it's just crazy. Texas is just crazy like that. And I'm looking at her struggling to stand on her feet. She has to sit down on the curve. 
And I say, man, I'm never going to put nobody else like that in a situation again. That was my moment to where I realized I can't even take care of somebody I got pregnant. Steep, yo. Wow. That is deep. I, I, you breaking it down like that, I can see how that can be a breaking point for anybody. If you're going to be a man. That's it. That's what I'm saying. If you're going to be a man, it's a breaking point. <laughs> if you're going to be a sorry man, it ain't no breaking point. Wow. So you you hit your breaking point. You start reading. You empty yourself. You find mentors. You start learning from them. You start educating yourself. When was the first time you stood on the stage to start teaching what you learned? Well, I've never been asked this question before. Let's see. All right. If we can put 2000. I was already learning in 2005. 2008 was that moment. I went. I got no backup plan. I'm going to die for this. This is never going to happen again. So if you go back, because it's 2005 is when I became a man. This is when I said I'm going to change. So if you go back to 2005, it would be 2016 until I get on stage teaching people what I learned. Wow. It's 11 years. Well, because, because, well, let me hear your wow first and then I'll tell you why. <laughs> so from 2005 to 2016, 11 years, that's a lot of learning, a lot of growing. What, what, what did you do during that time frame? The work. The work. Wow. I did the work. I put in the work. That's, that's, I put in the work. I didn't open up my mouth until I was successful. Mm. I put in, by, by, by 2017, I'd be worth seven figures. I didn't open up my mouth until I was successful. I did the work. I had my head down. I was doing the work. I was getting punched in the face by the universe. I was making the bad deals. I was losing the bad. I was losing the bad investments. I was making the good investments. I was learning. I was overcompensating myself. So when a renter walked out, I would lose three houses and, and, and instead of being able to afford them. So I would learn how to adjust from that situation. I learned how to go from the E quadrant to the B quadrant, according to Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant and then I use my B quadrant knowledge or money to get to the I quadrant. I had to put in the work. It took 11 years for me to and then we didn't talk about confidence like it took me 11 years for me to feel like I get on stage. It took 11 years for people for me to just grind it out until people said put this man on stage. Hmm. So during these 11 years, because I heard you say lose, overcompensating, losing rent houses from the good investments to the bad investments. So what, what was it that you were doing? Because I hear real estate. I hear investing. Mm -hmm. What were you doing, doing during these 11 years that had you excuse my verbiage, busting your ass, losing, winning, learning the hard way. 
<laughs> grinding it out like what were you doing that gave you the edge of the education yep. to be able to teach what you teach today anything that would make me money right legally uh, i thought that real estate was a big deal so i jumped over there i found out stocks i jumped on anything that the top one percent was doing according to the books that i was reading that's what i was doing stocks right. real estate business all of it, all of it, man, all of it. Network marketing, I was doing all of it and I was finding my way. How do I conduct business and how, what is in laws of, what is in harmony with the laws of success with doing business and how can I get in harmony with those universal laws while keeping my strengths to, to exponentially speed that along faster? That's what I was doing. Figuring out, you know, I guess becoming a jack of all trades and a master of none. And once I got that, then in my strengths, I went straight to specificity, the specialized knowledge. And what I knew how to do more than anybody else was teach people how to make money. And there you go. Thus arises Millionaire Me. All right. So now I want to shift this mm -hmm. conversation. There's a few times you've said the universe. There's a few times you said incarnation, that you chose this life. You might as well ask it. You don't put yourself on that. You, 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 you <laughs> I'm got your to weird show now. Weird episode. How did you learn about these universal laws and this incarnation and you choosing this life and what's the importance of learning this that got that helped you along your journey once you learned it i re-ask the question because i feel like i'm missing the energy in which you're asking this question i want to answer your question with the energy you're giving it out I'm, I'm missing something i heard you but 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 my my awareness didn't hit you give it to me again you talked about universal laws, incarnation. Yep. You chose this life. What is the importance of you learning these things and where you are today? Like, gotcha. what was okay? Okay, good. You have, you actually let me make it, so you you let me take the easy way out. <laughs> the, there are some things in this life that are objective, no matter. It doesn't matter if you're privileged or not, black or not, a person of color, a male or female, Muslim or Christian, these things shall pass, period. And if you want to be successful, you need to go to where objectivity lives because a law is a law. If you jump off a building, you will fall. Now, whether gravity exists or not, we'll just go with Newton's classic theory. I'm going to call it gravity. You're going to fall. But I'm a Muslim, so you're going to fall. But I'm a Christian, so you're going to fall. This is just the way it is. And if you don't want to fall, then you need to account for that law. That law is going to pull you at 9.86 meters a second to the center of the earth, according to Newton, or at least the, 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 the 
the mathematics that came after Newton discovered gravity. And either way, you can be seek. You still don't fall. So unless you put on a jetpack or learn the, the laws of aerodynamics, you're going to fall. So understanding these universal things made life, no, 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 no. It made me, it made me a winner because me being young and black didn't matter no more. The systematic oppression against me couldn't hold me back no more because oppression that has nothing to do with the laws of success. I'm not telling you systematic oppression doesn't exist because it most certainly does. I'm just telling you I don't vibrate at it. I'm just telling you I fought the white folk who want to follow me and pay me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, mm -hmm. I, I, I found the folk who, who are racist who still subscribe to my products because I don't vibrate at their laws. I vibrate at what is objective. And that was the biggest thing that happened because if you plant a seed, you're going to get a harvest. This is objective. So I had to plant a seed instead of complaining about how y'all won't let me plant a seed. Nope. If I plant a seed, it doesn't matter if you're going to let me or not, that harvest is coming. Now, what are the rules to get to that harvest? Easy. Right? You don't leave that field. You till that ground. You nurture that seed. And you let the ground be smarter than you. And you reap that harvest. And you don't eat all the seeds that came from that harvest. Simple as that. There you go. So from 6 to 14, 14 to 18, 18 to 24, 25 to, to well, from 2005 to 2016, what, what is the one thing through all of that that you have learned? What are, the, what, are, what are the principles that you stand by from everything you've learned, connecting the dots going backwards, that keeps you going today? You want one or you want plural? Give us plural. It's only two. It's it's maybe three. Move before you're ready. The universe likes speed, and anything in motion will remain in motion if you just move. Right, move before you're ready. All the stuff you want to do is going to change your life. You don't want to do. You don't want to not eat that cupcake. Don't eat it. You don't want to work out. You don't want to go run two miles in the rain, in a cold rain. Go do it. The stuff you want, the stuff you want to do typically doesn't work out for you to change your life. The stuff you don't want to do, you know, having abs hurt and you can't even laugh because you did an ab workout. Nobody wants to go through that. But if you want to look well, uh, then you got to go through that, right? So move before you're ready. The second thing is you got to treat people nice. You got, I, I should probably put that first, but you got to treat people right, right? You know what I'm saying? You, you have to. But move before you're ready, I like first, because you got to take care of yourself first to be a value of anybody else. Mm. And then after that, you got to treat people right, because people are your greatest resources. All your money on planet Earth will come from people, period. Money, it doesn't just, first off, money is made up. And then money doesn't. <laughs> not the pro not the poverty statement money don't grow on trees but no literally money doesn't just come out your faucet 
No, you got to actually go get it from people. And people are only going to give money to people they like and trust. Okay. If there's a third one, I would say you got to be obsessed. You have to be far better than everybody else at what you're doing. And the only way you're going to do that is to be obsessed. And, you know, half the people hear me right now, and you're getting turned off by this obsession part. But the other half of you, I'm talking to you. Yeah, if your blood is on fire right now, because I said you got to be better than the people in your industry, I'm talking to you. Them other people going to work for you. So if you're on fire right now, I'm talking to you. You got to be obsessed. I don't know how to... I, I don't even know how to have a conversation with people who are not trying to work, not trying to win championships. I can't relate. I just don't even understand. They don't like me. If you are not trying to win the championship, you typically don't like me because I don't know how to talk to you. And when I try to talk to you, my energy says, I really don't want to talk to you. I want to be nice to you, so I'm going to be nice to you, but my energy clearly says I'm being nice to you because I love you as a human, because you please stop talking to me because you're in the way of my championship. I only know how to talk to champions and people who want to be champions. I'm not saying you got to have that one the championship, but you got to have that in you. You got to have it in you. I don't, I don't know how to not to practice. After this interview, I'm going right back hard on my craft. I don't know how to not to practice. I don't need no coffee. And I'm, my dreams is caffeine. Anyway, mm. I, 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 I got, I'm sorry. I'm just getting pumped no. up. Thinking about that no, 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 no. Please don't, don't apologize at all. Yeah. All, right, all right, dog. And I don't need no. Y'all, y'all need motivation. If I need to motivate you, you're in the wrong industry. Mm. If you need motivation, you're not following your dreams. Your dreams are motivation in themselves. If I have to motivate you, you're in the wrong. You're doing the wrong thing. You're doing the wrong thing. Go ahead. So is it safe to say you love what you do? Hell yeah. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just love what I do. It's at this point, it's it's. I am what I do. I don't even know. I don't even know how to do anything else. I. Man, to separate what I do from who I am is impossible. I think that's what I think that's why so many people follow me is somehow my audience doubles every day. It's ridiculous how that happens. But I think the authenticity of me is is catchable. I think it's infectious, right? I think it's like as it is recording, the COVID nineteen crisis is still sweeping the world. Is is it's it's like a cough from a COVID carrier. You know, when when you authentically care about people when you authentically are living your dreams that stuff is catchable mm-hmm. it is it's contagious it really really is it is that i caught it just following you i was like man that's what i want to do right there so yeah, that i agree with you on that one is this who you are today is it who you wanted to be when you were growing up Oh, yeah. I, when I kindergarten, they asked me what I want to be in kindergarten. I said, businessman. I'm living in my kindergarten dreams. But that makes sense. To, listen, y'all. Listen. You got to know who I am. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. So I would have been a businessman even if for a moment 
if and if I said no, nah, I just like being an employee, then I would be like the greatest employee on planet Earth. If y'all better be glad I'm not an employee, because I would literally be your boss anyway. <laughs> because I would just out obsess you at an employee. I would I just would. I would just out print copies than you. Like you print copies, I print millions of copies. You print millions of copies. I go invent the copy machine that that inv- that print billions of copies. Like you're just not gonna out employ. You're not gonna outdo anything of me. This period. I'm not in competition with you. I just consistently raise my own bar, and you just can't. You just can't. You just can't compete with that. It's just. It's insane because no, it's insane. So I would have been a businessman regardless, John. I would have did that regardless. But knowing me. Of course I said I wanted to be a businessman in kindergarten in 1986. If, if if you truly know me, you know that's what I said. Of course you know. Of course I said that. Of course I said that. That sounds exactly like me. There's something wrong with me. Of course I wanted to be a businessman in 1986, for God's sake. <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> was, there any, was there anything else you saw yourself doing? Besides just besides being a businessman? Fireman. Fireman. I wanted to be a fireman. And I actually did. I actually went to go be a fireman and qualified and took the test and did everything and got a job. I did it. I did it. The two things I said I wanted to do in kindergarten, I did. I checked them off my list. But again, knowing me, that makes sense. If I tell you I'm going to do something, just just get to know me more. You'll see. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do that. When I tell y'all, I, t- I sat in San Diego on a podcast telling somebody, a group of people, that I would be, I would become synonymous with business. These people basically told me, but you're black. No one's ever done that black. And I looked at them and I said, that ain't got nothing to do with what I said. Mm-hmm. Watch me. By the end of my death, I will be synonymous with business. Period. Just, just watch. I would be the youngest black billionaire. And don't hit me with that. Why you guys say it's black? You know, we should just be. I don't try to hear all that. Okay, that's that's you and how it makes you feel comfortable. You understand what I'm saying? That was make you feel comfortable. That makes you feel comfortable. You keep your comfort away from my dreams. Do you understand? That makes you feel comfortable. I know what I gotta do for my people. So don't tell me, don't water down what I got to do for my people. You get to do it for Polish people. Damn it. Let me have it for my black people. All right. So, okay. So Antonio, I'm going to shift this. I'm going to shift this interview one more time before Mm -hmm. we close it out. So I want to go back to incarnation. There you go. Choosing this life. No, sir. No, sir. Because I, working with you, watching you, I understand that you've taught me a lot. So what did you mean by you chose this life? Well, there is a belief out there that we all choose our incarnations, which would mean that I would believe in reincarnation, if that's the case. And, if, well, if this is all over sacred text. I, I, I won't try to prove it to you. It's not this call. Just, just know 
boom, it is what it is, okay? You just go on out there on your own path, and you're going to find your own path. However, we choose, according to this belief that many people who are in top 1% of income earners, like me, we all talk the same. It's just we all and that's why this talk. question is important, because <laughs> okay. we all talk it. We all talk the same. Prosperity has one voice. We all talk the same. That we choose the path, like Oprah chose to be her childhood. Right? She chose that hardness because it is the way that it's, it's, it's how, so we all have a responsibility to carry the light. And how can one carry the light if one does not call the darkness to themselves? Mm. You, you, you can't mm. care, you can't be light in light. So the bigger you want to, the brighter you want your light to shine, the more darkness you also simultaneously call to yourself. Wow. And people like me, Oprah, you know, just anybody that just had this got this really big light and reached millions of people. We all have this terrible stuff that happened to us because we agreed before we got here, this is the time to put me here and I want to share the light this way. So I need this much darkness. For me, it was homeless, trash can, left for dead, <clears throat> molested, all sorts of stuff, right? It was that for me. Without that, I could not share the light, right? The, the bigger the dark, the brighter the light. Or the bigger the dark, the more important that light is. Mm. Right? So that's that there. And you got, there's something else secret in there. I'm, I'm trying to, I, I can hear you going there, but you know, it's, well, let me, let me just, yeah, yeah, let me, let me just go ahead and say it. I said, you, you, you have essentially, we decide how we come. And when we come, so let me tell all of this to your listeners. I'm not sure if you're ending it, but this would be a great point for me to at least say this here. Stop complaining. We are the change. And I'm not saying as some, you know, rainbow Mary Poppins marshmallows on a s'more motivation, you know, talk. I'm telling you, every last one of us on planet Earth right now that are alive right now the world is at its precipice. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. The racial divide is, it's, you know, in America, it's, it's, it's 1843 right now. I don't know if y'all know that. I don't mean like ours. I mean, we are literally living in 1843 or maybe 1743. There's no doubt. We all decided, hey, we would be a part of the change. Let me tell you something, man. Every person against me, thank you. Because without you, I wouldn't be strong enough to rise above your vibration. Every person for me, thank you. 
because without you, I wouldn't be able to stand the abuse of those against me without leaning on you. We're all here to appreciate, allow, and to just be grateful for every last person and the role they are playing in our darkness or in our light. And I'm grateful for every last one of you because without you, I wouldn't be able to share the light, dark or not. That's the truth. Well, thank you, Mr. Antonio T. Smith Jr. We're actually going to end this interview on that note because that was a perfect way to end it. I greatly appreciate your time today because I do understand that you are a very prosperous man and prosperous people have very tight schedules. So I appreciate well, you. you run my schedule. <laughs> so you would know more than anyone. I really, I truly and honestly thank you and appreciate you for giving me this opportunity to interview you today and to also take everything that you've done to put it on one platform so your audience can be able to find you quickly and find all of your teachings and what it is that you're doing. So thank you, Mr. Antonio. Well, let me say something right there. Don't find me. Like, find inspiration. Find you. But you you find Diana. okay? She's, she's... She's the only person I'm authorizing to do this. So you find her. This is a, this is a testament to your greatness. Y'all become fans of Diana, who has unlimited access to be able to do something like that. You know, I've, I've already got my light and I want you to see hers. So you find her and by finding yourself and just use me as the catalyst or the bridge between you two. And you do it that way. But this podcast is about you and your unprecedented access to someone like me. That simple. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the following Greatness Podcast. A podcast dedicated to the teachings of Mr. Antonio T. Smith Jr. And as he always, you know what? I'm not going to say it. You close us out, Mr. Smith. Antonio T. Smith, Jr. You can plant better. You can dominate. Thank you for listening to Following Greatness with Antonio T. Smith, Jr. Join Antonio's official fan page on Facebook at the official Antonio T. Smith, Jr. fan club. Also, follow Antonio on any social media in the show notes. See you next episode. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.